0: Kicking off the first ever Outdoor 1030. You guys did it. We're so proud of you. Give yourselves a hand. We're doing it now. You know, how you respond to the important moments in your life will dramatically inform your future. How you respond to those important pivotal moments in your life can dramatically inform your future. You know, you're at a job interview. How you respond to those interview questions can land you the job or not land you the job. You know that moment when your girlfriend first says, I love you. This is a very, very pivotal moment in your life. How you respond could end that relationship immediately. And I've had one of those moments, I've had several of those moments, but one comes to mind. Those pivotal moments where your response will kind of dictate your future was uh, a couple years ago, On September 12th, 2017, my wife and I got a call about a little girl who was in foster care who needed a home. And we talked about it and prayed about it briefly. And we said yes to this little girl in foster care who needed a home. And on February 1st of 2019, that little girl, Nora Grace, became my daughter. She was permanently grafted into our family and into our family here at Southlands, There are these pivotal moments, and you'll know them when you're in them. And when you're in this moment, it is so clear that how I respond will dramatically alter my future. And what I want to do today is I want to look at three stories of individuals and groups of people who realized they were in that moment. They realized that in this moment, how I respond to Jesus will change everything. And they realized this because they realized that they weren't just in the presence of a miracle worker or a good moral teacher. They were in the presence of God himself. So if you have a Bible, open up to uh, Luke chapter 5. We're going to be reading through verses 1 through 26. And um, you have this kind of in the back of your handout. Shannon already read the first story for us. And so let's Go through these three stories and see how these pivotal moments, these individuals responded. So story number one, an amazing catch. Story number one, an amazing catch. Jesus is teaching to these large crowds, and they're getting so big that he can't communicate to all of them. And so he turns the shoreline into an amphitheater. He pulls a boat back so his voice will reverberate off the water and more people can hear the good news. And as soon as he's done teaching, he looks to Simon Peter, who's the owner of the boat, and he says, hey, Simon, go fishing. And this moment immediately reveals that Jesus the rabbi knew nothing about fishing. He had no idea what he was doing when it came to fishing. First of all, the nets that they used were so large and thick that fish could literally see them. And the drag from the net Uh, was slower than the speed of the fish. So the fish would literally see the net and swim away. So you fished at night. Also, you fished in the shallow regions of this lake, not in the deep. But Jesus looks at Peter and he says, hey, go fish at the wrong part of the lake at the wrong part of the day in front of all these people who are listening, who many of them themselves would be professional fishermen. Now, Peter's not jazzed about the idea. He's not really full of faith and expectation. Oh, this is going to be amazing. And in fact, he kind of says that. He says, Master, we fished all night, subtext, you know, when you're supposed to fish, (laughs) and we caught nothing. But even though Peter is annoyed, and even though Peter is highly doubtful he's going to catch anything, he responds with these six words, but at your word, I will. If you take notes in your Bible, underline those six words. But Lord, at your word, I will. This is the, the ideal response of every Christian. That even when the circumstances around obeying God's word don't make sense. Even when we can't see clearly, we say, but Lord, at your will, I will. Lord, it's hard to trust you are good, but at your word, I will. Lord, I don't want to go pray for that person right now, but at your word, I will. Lord, I don't think we can afford to tithe right now, but at your word, I will. Lord, it's difficult to reserve sex for marriage, but Lord, at your word, I will. Lord, it's uncomfortable to share the gospel with others, but Lord, at your word, I will. Even though Peter is hesitant, even though Peter is doubting, he still responds in action of obedience. And watch how Peter is blessed for this great step of obedience. What happens next is nothing short of a miracle. Instead of the fish swimming away from the net that they can clearly see coming at them at a speed that they can avoid, they swim directly into the net. And not just one fish, not just two fish, not just three fish. This sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. Sorry about that. But this school of fish, hundreds of fish, intentionally swim in the net at the wrong part of the lake at the wrong time of day. This is a miracle. And and Peter's response, I think, should have been, I'm rich. Like, this is awesome. I just got hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in assets for my company. Or at a minimum, you'd think Peter would would, would fall on his knees and say, thank you. That's amazing. What a beautiful gift you just gave me, Jesus. But Peter's response at first is peculiar. He falls on his knees. He falls to the knees of Jesus and said, get away from me for I am a sinful man. Get, get away from me. I am a sinful man. You know, Peter grew up reading the Hebrew scriptures. He would have known them inside and out. And one of the first things you learn in Genesis 1, as you read the Hebrew scriptures, is that only God himself is Lord of creation. Only God himself sets in motion the animals that walk on the land and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And Peter is realizing in this moment that he's not just with a rabbi. He's not just with a miracle worker. He is with God. He is in the very presence of Yahweh himself, the one who wills fish to do what he wants. And so he falls on his knees. In this moment, Peter is fearful and repentant because he realized he is unworthy to be in the presence of God. His sin is exposed in this moment. And like us, when we really meditate and think about it and get a picture of who God really is, our sin is exposed. It's like showing up to a wedding wearing worn out and dirty clothes. You're just exposed. It'd be like swearing in front of Mother Teresa. You're just like exposed. It would just be glaringly evident. You do not belong here. And in this moment, Jesus and his glory and his holiness are being shown off. And Peter realizes, I do not belong here. I am not worthy to be in the presence of God. And so he he says, away from me, depart from me, get away from me. I am not worthy to be near you. But notice how Peter, even though he says, depart from me, Jesus responds by saying, come follow me. You know, Peter, aware of his sinfulness, tries to push God away like Adam and Eve in the garden. When they were aware of their sinfulness, they tried to push God away. But what does God do when we are aware of our sinfulness? He draws us near. See, the irony is when you become aware of your sinfulness, you would think that that would make you further from God, but ironically, the moment you become aware of your sinfulness, the moment you realize that God is holy and you don't deserve to be in his presence, that's the exact moment that God rushes towards you and invites you into a life of following him. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds like this. You think that was something? Peter? Simon? You think that was cool that you caught so many fish, two boats were starting to sink? You haven't seen anything yet. You come and follow me, and at your hands, you won't only catch an amazing catch of fish. You will bring men into the kingdom of God. You will see lives turned upside down. You will see people who are far from God brought near. You will see diseases cured that were thought to be incurable. Peter, that was nothing. That was only a fraction of my glory. That was only a fraction of my holiness. Follow me. Live your life for me, and you will see much, much more than this. Do you realize that God wants to use you? Like God wants to take you and your bad habits, he knows about them. They don't disqualify you. The sin that you've committed in the past, he knows about it. It doesn't disqualify you. The fact that you've tried to serve God before and you felt like it failed, it doesn't Disqualify you. All that matters is that you see God sacred and holy and lifted up and you say yes to his offer to repent of your sin and to follow him in a life of seeing amazing things as people are healed and brought into the kingdom. See, Peter, overcome with amazement, responds to Jesus in repentant faith. He repents and he believes that God is worthy to be followed. Story number two is an amazing cleansing. You guys can follow along with me in your handout. It's that middle paragraph before us. Story number two is an amazing cleansing. While he, speaking of Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Clean, And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, a report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. but he would withdraw to desolate places to pray." In our second story, we encounter a man full of leprosy. Luke is a doctor, and that's a diagnosis of what type of leprosy he has. He is completely covered in an incurable form of leprosy. And he falls on his face, and he begs. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, it's clear this man is showing signs of repentance. Obviously, he's heard that Jesus is a man of God, and he does these miracles, and he cares for people, or else it wouldn't be worth his time. And he falls on his face as a sign of humility and repentance. And note that he doesn't just ask to be healed. He asks to be cleansed. Cleansed is a word about your relationship with God and your relationship with the other people. Because in the Hebrew culture, if you were unclean, you couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't worship God. You couldn't know God. You couldn't be around your family. You couldn't be around the community of faith. And he's coming to him saying, God, I need to be not just healed, but cleansed. I need my whole life changed so I can be in right relationship with other people. And he doesn't come demanding. He doesn't come entitled. He doesn't say, oh, you're a miracle worker? Prove it. Heal me. He's not standing up in a posture of pride. He's flat on his face in desperation saying, please, I know you can, Lord. I know you can, Lord, if if you would just give me the time of day, if you would just give me the mercy. I know I'm not worthy of your attention. I know I'm just a, a leper who's been cast out, but God, if you will, Jesus, if you will, I know that you can heal me. And this was surely a great act of faith. Up until this point, it was believed that there was no cure for this type of leprosy. And no one, in fact, had cured this type of leprosy before. And this is where our familiarity with Jesus can harm us. Because if you're familiar with the Bible and you're familiar with church, you and I are going, oh, we know what happens. Even before the story starts, we know what happens. Because what? Jesus is a good guy. And so good guys do the right thing. And so the good guy of Jesus did the right thing, and he healed the man of leprosy. No, that is not how we should think. This is an impossible disease to cure. This is a man who is completely hopeless. This is a man who has lost all contact with his family, and he's falling on his face before God. You know, in the book of 2 Kings, the king of Assyria's commander got leprosy. And so the king of Assyria writes to the king of Israel because he had heard about this prophet who could heal him, and he writes to the king, and he essentially requests healing for his commanding officer. Do you know what the king does? He falls to his knees, he rips his clothes, and he says, Am I God that you would request me to heal this man of leprosy? Am I God? See, this man kneeling with his face to the ground before Jesus is trusting God for the impossible. He's trusting God for something only God can do. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, and with only two words— two words he commands this body to be cleaned i am willing be clean and this leper got his whole life back he was able to worship in the temple courts he was able to see his family he was able to hold his kids again he was able to go home for thanksgiving and see his parents he didn't have to shelter in place anymore maybe that's too close to home <laughs> This man's whole life was given back to him. The leper encountered Jesus as God and he responds in amazement that leads him to repentant faith. Christian, are you still amazed that God saved you? Think about that for a minute. If you have been saved of your leprosy of sin, does that still amaze you? Does that still move you to tears sometimes? Thinking about the fact that you had no access to God and you have been made right with God. I had lunch with a new friend on Wednesday and he was just asking me questions about my story and why my wife and I do foster care. And I just kind of explained how God has led us to this place where we do foster care. And I remembered it was because of this revelation of God adopting me into his family. And over lunch with a new friend, I just began to tear up. I'm just overwhelmed with thankfulness and and I'm trying to hide it, but I'm also like, thank you, God. Thank you that you are giving me an accurate picture of how I should respond. I was nothing without you. I was unclean without you. And you came and you saved me. Christian, are you still rejoicing? Are you still in amazement that God had saved you? We've been around church for a long time, some of us. We've been around the Bible for a long time. This is just kind of one of those facts that we grow tired of, let it. In, I invite you to let the Spirit spark that in you this week. Think about your own salvation story. Think about how far removed you were of God. Think about where you would be right now if you didn't have God. You'd have nothing. I would have nothing. Man, God has truly cleansed us of our sin. And this leper receives this touch from Jesus. Just as Jesus reached out his hand and touched him, so God has reached and stretched his hands on the cross to touch us. Amen? Amen. Let that be a testimony we're excited about in our church. Let that be something that we never lose the wonder of. Story number three. An amazing command. So we have an amazing catch, an amazing cleansing in an amazing command. In this last story, we find Jesus again teaching, but not on a boat, in a house. And in a house that is packed with people. The CDC would not be happy with this house. Let me tell you that right now. You tried to get in, every window was full, every hallway was full, every doorway was full. There was nowhere to get in this house. But that did not stop this group of men from climbing up the outside staircase, ripping open the roof, and getting their paralytic friend to Jesus. Let's read the story together, that last paragraph. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him to lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on a roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, they weren't even saying these things. They were thinking them. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and walk? But that you know, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. An amazing command indeed. And he immediately rose before them, picked up what he had been laying on, and went home glorifying God. And what was the response? Amazement. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Jesus sees these men desperate, to get their friend to Jesus. And he admires their faith. And in admiring their faith, he looks at the man who cannot walk, who's a paralytic, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Seems like a strange moment to forgive someone of sins, doesn't it? I imagine the friends were like, "Uh, Jesus, that's not why we literally ripped the roof off for you to forgive this man's sins. He has this ailment. He can't walk. It's clear to everyone here. Why are you forgiving him of sins? Imagine going to your doctor for your uh, your yearly physical. And, and the doctor, she looks at you and she says, now let's talk about how sinful you are. <laughs> I've uh, heard about how you treat your spouse. I've, I've heard about these shortcuts you're taking at work. I've heard how easily you lose your temper. Let's, let's talk. Let's talk about your sins. I think you would find a new doctor, as you probably should. <laughs> but here they're, they're bringing this man to the great physician, and he responds, and he says, your, your sins are forgiven. And in this moment, Jesus is reaching beyond the man's felt need to walk right into his core need to be forgiven. Jesus is showing this man that, yes, you are desperate to be healed. Yes, you're desperate for a miracle, and that's not bad. I'll answer that, but first, of first importance, is the state of your soul. You have a sickness in your soul that is much worse than the sickness in your legs. And I care for you. I love you too much to let you leave here healed, fully restored, to go live your life apart from God. The first thing, the first order of business we need to take care of is that your sins need to be forgiven. Now, this was a major problem for the Pharisees major problem for the Pharisees, because they were convinced that only God can forgive sins. And they were right. And here's this small-town, untrained rabbi, this Jesus of Nazareth, who came from nowhere, didn't study under any of the great scribes, and he himself is claiming that he can forgive sins. Something only God can do, because sins are ultimately committed against God, and therefore God needs to be the one to pardon the offense. The Pharisees were right about that, but they were wrong because deep down inside, they believed they didn't need that pardon. Deep down inside, they they knew that it was true, (laughs) but they couldn't come to the place where they realized they actually needed that forgiveness. You know, our culture is working in the same way. 24-7, our culture is trying to tell you that you are a good person and you can do anything you set your mind to and all you need to do is believe in yourself. And the makeup company, L'Oreal, captures it best by saying, because I'm worth it. (laughs) And the Bible is working so hard to convince you that you're so jacked up (laughs) that, like, you're not worth it. And you can't just believe in yourself. And deep down inside, you're not actually a good person, but actually you're sinful, and you're separated from God, and you're going to spend eternity in hell suffering if you do not profess the name of Jesus and put yourself in right relationship. What a sick and twisted thing that Satan has ahead of our culture. Men are, are walking off the edge of the cliff and they're encouraged to do so. Men are dying and they're not told about the treatment. Over and over again, we are told in our culture, believe in yourself. And really the Bible is screaming, no, believe in Jesus. There's someone so much greater than yourself, someone outside of yourself, the very God of the universe. Don't believe in yourself and walk over the cliff into eternal judgment. Believe in Christ And be united with the God of the universe who loves you and gave his life to deliver this very pressing message. And so Jesus heals the man as a sign, as a proof, as a certainty that in your life, when you ask for forgiveness in the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. Even if you don't see a dramatic transformation, like going from not walking to walking, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven when you come to the name of Jesus bearing your sin and your shame and your guilt and you repent, you are forgiven. Praise be to God. Isn't that good news, church? Isn't that good news that the resurrection of Christ ultimately justifies and certifies that you and I can be forgiven of our sins? And the response of those gathered is just amazement amazement seized them all and they glorified God. I'm going to invite the music team to come up and get ready as we close. But I want to ask those of you Christians how have you been responding to Jesus lately? Has it been an amazement? Have you thought recently about the grace that was given to you for God himself to come and walk this very earth and suffer humiliation and death just so you could have life and life abundant just so that your joy could be made full you know conservative christians tend to know jesus as a moral teacher that he wants us to improve our life and live ethically and that's that's correct and the charismatic christian tends to want us to know jesus as a miracle worker that God's power can break in your life and change your situation and get you that job and heal your leg, and and that's true. But yet both of those perspectives, though they are true, they are inadequate. Ultimately, Jesus is God, period. At the end of the day, Jesus is Lord of all creation, At the end of the day, Jesus is the one who made you. At the end of the day, Jesus is the one who will stand before in all eternity and worship and say, thank you, God, that you saved me. Thank you, God, that you made me right. Thank you, God, that you chased after me, even when I didn't deserve it. Even though I was a mess and I was full of sin continually, Jesus came, this incomparable Christ, suffered the death that we deserved and brought us into right relationship with himself. And if you have never received Jesus into your life, if you've never in amazement of what God has done for you because you didn't deserve it, respond in repentance and faith. You are in trouble, my friends. You are in big trouble. If you are trying to get through this life by believing yourself and thinking that you're worth it and thinking you're enough and thinking you can just improve your life with some tips, you are in big trouble because the problem is leprosy. The problem is this incurable disease that is ripping your life and your soul apart. And it would be foolish to hear the message that God has come to save you and turn your heart away from that message. Receive Christ today. Put all of your faith in Jesus and choose to follow him. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this time outside to worship and to hear your word. Thank you for this time to reflect on the fact that you are God and you have made a way for us back to God. God, I pray now as we stand and we sing, God, that we would rejoice together in amazement that Jesus delights in forgiving our sins. God, I pray for our church members this week. Lord, I pray for just a fresh revelation of amazement in the name of Jesus right now that, that they, in their sinful state, with all of their bad behaviors with all of their sinful tendencies, with all of their mistakes, that just the tidal wave of insecurity that can come, Lord, that that would be met with the tidal wave of God's love. And we would stand in amazement that we have been made right with God, that the disease of our souls has been cured. Thank you, God. We lift up your name, Jesus. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that even now, Lord, you're you're standing in heaven and you're, you're waiting for us to respond. Right now, you're waiting for us to sing. You're waiting for us to say thank you and you deserve all the glory. Thank you, God, that anyone with their window open at the extended stay next door who doesn't know you deserves to hear that our God reigns. Thank you that anyone stopped at that red light up there with their window open deserves to hear that our God reigns. That we are thankful that we have been saved. That we've been saved by grace. Lord, I pray this week that you would overwhelm us with memories of our salvation, overwhelm us with the reality that we have been made right with Christ, and would we stand in amazement, and would we rejoice that you are the God who came to save us. I invite you guys now to stand and to sing.